0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Finding Your Strength Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Romeo. Today I had an awesome opportunity to chat with Fred Hall. Fred and I really broke down... His whole life, where he came from, what he's been up to, what brought him to Enfield, uh, traveling the world, different work experiences. Um, It was a really great opportunity to get to know Fred, and I'm excited for you guys to get to know Fred a little bit better as well. So today's episode is going to be awesome. Check it out. Before we get into the episode... Uh, This episode is brought to you by Power Athlete, two of their premier programs that we're talking about. One is Grindstone. Grindstone is designed for the working professional, someone that needs a flexible schedule. And the other program is called Jack Street. It's all about putting on that muscle, getting jacked, and uh, looking good. If you're interested in either of those programs, you can find them at PowerAthleteHQ.com or just talk to me. I'm one of their Block 1 coaches, and I'm happy to help you get started on a strength program through them. Awesome, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, let me know. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's show. So our guest for today is Fred Hall. I'm sure everybody's familiar with Fred. Fred, welcome to the show. Good to be here, so, um. So... Guys, we've, I've known Fred for coming on twelve years now. He's been one of the original people. I got a story about that, that I'll talk about later. But uh, Fred, introduce yourself, man. Where are you from? What have you been up to? I know you. I know you from being from Enfield, but are you from Enfield?
1: Well, not really, not originally. Um, originally born in Montana. Which, really? Yeah, it's a great. It's a great thing to say, right? It's, yeah. a, it's always a good conversation starter. Uh, don't remember it of course. Um, my dad was in the Air Force. He was at uh, Malstrom Air Force Base. He was a uh, an EOD technician. Uh, okay. And he was actually working in the missile silos. So, oh, very um, cool. Crazy. Yeah, crazy stuff. Uh um, interesting guy. He uh he, he wanted so bad to be an EOD technician that he uh he had really bad eyes. Uh, and he memorized the eye chart to Oh uh, shit. The huh? pass test, yeah, yeah. Wow. He was a really interesting character.
0: So every eye chart's the same then apparently, huh? Uh, he it must went, be.
1: I, I think the story goes something to the effect that he went into the doctor's office early, um, sat there, and he had a great memory. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, got up real close and memorized the eye chart.
0: Good for it. I would have, I would have been <laughs> saying numbers rather than letters at a certain point if you asked me to memorize an eye chart. but I got no idea. <laughs> he, uh,
1: he was gifted on it, yeah. He was a bit of a – he would have been a pirate in a different age. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he was gifted in a lot of ways. He was, uh, he was an interesting character. Uh, really, really good guy. Very uh, cool. Yeah.
0: So, from Montana, and I'm assuming if you were an Air Force family, you probably bounced around from place to place to place?
1: Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Uh, so, be. Uh, I think I was two when we left uh, Montana, therefore I don't remember yep. any of it. Uh, we moved into Peru, Indiana. Just um, have, um, you know, mild, very, very small memory of uh, Indiana. Okay. Uh, actually, remember being uh, bitten by a dog there.
0: I don't know, okay. I don't know why so a traumatic <laughs> moment that sticks out, right?
1: <laughs> um, then uh, from there we went to Guam, and I remember Guam very well. Oh because shit. It was like uh, four, five, and six, something like that.
0: Wow, um, that's unbelievable, Fred. I had no idea that uh, you moved around so much in your past.
1: Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, uh, Gu- Gu- Guam was like a little kid's paradise. Really? Uh, it was uh, growing up was just growing up there was just fantastic. Very uh, cool. Literally, we'd climb the coconut trees and get the coconuts and chasing chickens around. Um, Little kid paradise. Uh, okay. My mom absolutely hated it. Uh, she was born <laughs> on a farm in Hadley. Uh, she had a real green thumb. She could okay. make she could make anything grow, um, but there is no soil on, on Guam. It's, it's just a, all sand. It's a volcanic island. <laughs> yeah, you know, so she would try to grow stuff. And um, as a little kid, you loved it because there was all kind of wildlife, I and mean, we didn't know that some of it was like really dangerous yeah, wildlife. Sure.
0: Everything's uh, poisonous. Don't touch anything.
1: <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> hey, uh, I remember a kid. There was so where we lived. We lived in base housing, which had you know, uh, you know, had small lawns, and uh, then there was a, a perimeter road that went around that, and another small section of grass, and these uh, real thick bushes that we called boonie bushes, okay. and then the jungle was after that, you know, and the boonie bushes were there to keep the kids from going into the the jungle, gotcha. and to keep the jungle animals from getting. Just into,
0: assuming kids aren't going to crawl through these things, not knowing kids very well.
1: But some of them did. I got to tell you, um, so, uh, our next door neighbor at one point, and I only remember is Jimmy. Uh, I remember him being 16 at the time, uh, walked into, him and his friends went into the boonies, and Guam was a very contested island in World War II, Um, and he came back with a big artillery piece um, and and presented it to my dad like he had won a prize, like, hey, (laughs) "Hey, you you do EOD like this. What do you think? And he's probably like, oh, my God. He he almost shit his pants. First time I ever heard my father, and I remember like it was yesterday. First time I ever heard my father drop the F-bomb. Really? Uh, yeah. And the big to-do, you know, the EOD came out. We had to evacuate the area.
0: I'm sure because like, this thing could blow up. Like, this kid's like, hey, check out what I found. <laughs> oh, Do you right. want to hold it? <laughs> like, right. No, put it back in the jungle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah right. Don't move. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy got a pretty good ass kick in half Bro,
0: that. I would, so. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it's probably an honest mistake. I would probably make the same mistake. You're a kid out in the woods and you find this cool artillery thing. You don't know if it's live or dead or what it is. You're just like... Hey, look right. what I found! Right,
1: <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so after Guam, my uh, my father uh, retired after twenty one and change, twenty one years and change from from Guam.
0: Okay, so that was the end of his stint in the military in the Air Force was ending in Guam.
1: Correct. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, so we flew back to San Diego where he had where he had grown up. Okay. And lived with uh, my uncle there for a little while. Um, I think my mom was kind of homesick. Sure. And we had family in this area, so we drove. Back to Hadley. Lived in Hadley for a little while. Wow. Uh, my father was looking for, for work. Um, and he wasn't a real patient guy at times. Okay. Uh, he had he an had a, a application at had entered Bickford, which is a big uh, explosive plant up in Simsbury. They make, oh, interesting. They, they make dead cord and some other stuff. Okay. They didn't call him back in time. Uh, he got impatient, so we drove a little, everybody up in the family truckster and drove back to San Diego. <laughs> um, you know, we didn't have cell phones sure. at that time. So,
0: yeah, so there's um, no contact. And send me a letter in the mail, and I'll get it in a couple of weeks. There's no instant email or a cell phone or whatever it may be.
1: None of that. Oh, uh, this is like 1969. Um, and as soon as we get to, as soon as we got to San Diego, we got the phone call, and it said, "Hey, if." Uh, you know that job is open for you if you want it, but it's you know there was a, there was a window when sure when I was gonna you got to get back in the next two weeks. All right, turn around, <laughs> and that's what we did. Really, <laughs> uh, but he didn't. He didn't end up getting the job. So, oh, uh, bummer. Yeah, um, he ended up working at a foundry. Um, I had uh, an aunt and an uh, uncle, and uh, they had one kid, Andy, who lived. Uh, they lived here in Enfield. Enfield was just a. Like, this was the late '60s, so it was just a popping community. You know, gotcha. Uh, it was was just,
0: this still a chicken farm?
1: This was still a chicken farm. Uh, yeah, Mark's yeah.
0: told me that story. Mark like was told me that story a bunch of times. He's like, you know, this place used to be a chicken farm. I was like, yep, you've-
1: <laughs> <laughs> like an industrial chicken which farm, which is crazy. So, right, uh, they, uh there was, um, if I remember correctly, there were barracks here, or housing. You know and was that
0: is that the guy that part of the the property next door there that's kind of like buried in the woods over there? That's that's kind of like the original, what this would have looked like with chickens everywhere.
1: Correct. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Yep. Yeah. Great. Uh, and this was all, other than that, this was all farmland. This was, you uh, uh, back then, um, I can tell you that uh, when Wilco came in, you know, Wilco's a, a department store. Okay. Uh, Woolworth Woolco, I think it was called. That was like a big deal. Okay. Um, that, was a, that was a big draw. And then it just kind of, you know, just.
0: I mean, it seems back. like Enfield got huge for a while. I mean, and I'm sure if you were around in that time span, you probably saw Enfield get huge with the Enfield Mall and, all of the, the the commercialism coming into one place. Where I'm sure Enfield was a hub for a long time.
1: hey well, it, it sure was. I, I got to tell you, um, you couldn't tell it now, but the Enfield Square was kind of the place to be. Uh, yeah. Through the '70s and the uh, mid '80s, yeah, probably the late '80s. I mean, it, it was it was a mecca. Um, and you know, my first job was a, a, a cook at Orange Julius, which okay. was a hot dog shop <laughs> in the middle of the mall. Well, there, are, there was literally times uh, where the mall was so full it was shoulder to shoulder, and that parking lot was packed. You
0: know? Think about that. I mean, no one could have ever predicted back then what today would look like, where the mall is vacant, the uh, the just overall commercial shopping, like going to a store. Retail has died out almost completely, and everything's ordered off of your phone or off of your computer, and there's no need to. do your holiday shopping in a mall where you're shoulder to shoulder you can't find room things are sold out like that doesn't happen anymore it's unbelievable right agreed unbelievable so you guys ended up migrating back here and it sounds like this time you stayed
1: we did uh so uh um at the time i i I have three sisters and a brother um my uh sister and brother much older than i am okay uh so my two sisters and i went to school here um my uh, two sisters ended up going to college. Uh, I, I, so from 69 to 80, I stayed, uh, 81, I stayed in town. Gotcha. Um, 81, I joined the Army. Uh, to, was in the Army, 81 to 84. Uh, 85, moved back to the area. Okay. Um, fully intent on going back out to Colorado. Uh, I, was, I was training out in Colorado, working with a doctor who was a pretty amazing fellow. Told me he had a job for me if uh, if I was uh, willing to come back and work sure. with him. Uh, my dad was sick at the time, so I came home just to make sure things were kind of squared away at home, um, fully intent on driving back to Colorado and you know training with this doctor. And then then life happened, you know. I met uh, I met the woman of my dreams, Um I—true story, great story. Uh, I saved up enough money to drive out to Colorado, pay down payment on, on an apartment, all that okay. kind of stuff. And this is 1985, so, so...
0: I was just being born in this year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and so saving up a lot of money in 1985 <laughs> meant I had $1,200. You know, and that Perfect. Was, that was, and that was, that was going to be enough for...
0: 1200 bucks. I can move across country <sighs> oh, on right. this. Like, this is my ticket.
1: Um, so I had met my wife, Carol, uh, in February of 85, and like instantly, I knew, right? Actually, it that was funny, because uh, the place that I raised the money, uh, I was working at a uh, waterbed store. Okay. And she walked in at one point, and I told the guys that I was working with, I'm going to marry her. Really? True story. Wow. um, And then, uh, you know, my dad got better. Things were okay at home. Um,
0: But now you don't want to leave.
1: Well, I did. I, truth, not a word of this made up. Um, I saved up the money. I packed up my car. I was literally going to, on my way uh, to Colorado. uh, And I stopped by Carol's apartment. uh, Intent on saying, hey, listen, I'll be back in about a year. Will you wait for me? And I'm walking up the stairs, and this realization comes to me that, like, you you can never come back. You know, yep. it's, it's it's here and now. Either do it or don't. Um, so I knocked on the door, and she opened the door, and I said, "Listen, I got down on one knee, did the role, really? uh, sort of. I said, Listen, I, I was planning on going to Colorado. I was going to be back in a year, but I, I can't wait. You know, wow. I, will you marry me right here, right now?'" And she said, "Yes, thank God." That's uh, amazing. What a cool story. Uh, well, and and just that. Uh, uh, this is this. So I didn't have a ring, right? Okay. But I hadn't planned Yeah,
0: you were planning on leaving. You're not. You're planning to like, see you later. Never mind, be like, spend the rest of your life with me.
1: And uh, so I went and got a Band-Aid. Uh, but I, <laughs> I said, listen, this is temporary. Uh, I'll go get a ring tomorrow. But uh, um, that's it. that was our that was her engagement ring. Very
0: cool. And you saved up the money for your trip, so you could just turn around and use that for a ring. That's they're exactly. like, oh, I got the money for a ring, I guess. That's, like, exact,
1: that's exactly what I did, too. Um yeah.
0: What a cool story, Fred! Uh, and stuff. that's what brought you to Enfield, and probably kept you here for a long time.
1: Yeah, we uh, we moved. So that was in Windsor Locks. Uh, we uh, we moved. Uh, if we were living in Windsor Locks. Uh, my first son was born, Zach. Okay. Um, we bought a house up on the in, the, in Enfield in, on the Shaker Pine Lake area, um, and started raising a family. You know, Crazy, so we switched man. gears and started started raising a family.
0: That's awesome, Fred. What a cool story. What a, that's really, really interesting. What um, what your time in the military look like? What was that all about? Because I know you said it was just a quick, what well, you said, it wasn't, I mean, four years is a long time to be committed to anything, but you said from 80 to 84, you were doing something in the military. What that look like?
1: Yeah, I was a medic, and I was uh, 81 to 84. Uh, I was a medic. Uh, cool. I, I loved being a medic. Uh, it was a great job. Um, so I first started out uh, medicing in a support company, the 651st Medical Company in Ludwigsburg, Germany. Okay, that was my first uh, permanent duty station. Great job, because as a support company, uh, anytime uh, a unit that didn't have an indigenous medic went to the field, or they needed sure. to augment their their uh, medics, you got sucked up into it. You so, know?
0: so you got to do a lot more things other than you would have otherwise, where you're getting pulled in different directions and getting to go out with
1: people. Exactly. Very I, cool. It was it was great. I mean, it was a. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the field. Of, uh, of 18 months in Germany, or spent like a year in the, in the field. Wow. Uh-huh.
0: So out of 18 months, 12 of them are spent actually out in the field. <laughs> Was that in Germany itself? or they deploying you guys to other places in the world and you were being out in the field there and then returning to Germany? What that look like?
1: Well, no, so we, were just, we stayed in Germany. Okay. Uh, at the time, you know, this is the Cold War, so Germany had a lot sure. of soldiers in it, you know, and we yep. had a... The bases were all very small. They were called concerns. Um, I don't know what that means in in German, uh, <laughs> but the the theory Probably like shithole or something yeah, well, like you that. Know, so you don't like, want to know yeah. the
0: actual <laughs> meaning of it, but they're like, yeah, this word sounds good. Use <laughs>
1: this. Yeah, yeah shithole would've been pretty appropriate <laughs> too. Uh, um, so these are all, all the, and all these bases had been they'd been used by the Nazis in World War Two oh, and wow. then, then occupation forces ever since. You know. And I think the theory was that. Uh, if the Soviets attacked, um, the Soviets were, were their, their doctrine was they were going to uh, bomb a grid square at a time or artillery okay. a grid square at a time. So big bases weren't a good idea. You know? Sure, just too much damage. You're just
0: a sitting target,
1: right? Um, so uh, you have know, small base. Uh, we stayed in Germany, but they had these huge training areas. Uh, Grafenweiler, I think, is still there. It's just you know. I don't know how big it was, but it, well, you could drive for you could drive for a day and not hit the, the other side. Of and it.
0: this is a training space too,
1: right? Big, uh, big, uh, muddy, <laughs> nasty, horrible place to be. Hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Uh, but you could have battalion-sized exercises there. Wow. You know, uh, tank ranges and artillery ranges, and you know all kinds of stuff. And, and that was I think Grafenwöhr was the biggest, but there were a couple other ones. Um, Wild Flicken was another one which was even more miserable. It was a, a little more remote than Grafivir. Sure. In uh, the same for uh, for, for Wild Flick, was you haven't had a decade until you've been to Wild flicker because it was just it was miserable. It was a miserable place to be.
0: From what I understand, it sounds like current Russia and probably some of the area that you're describing is pretty similar where it's just no man's land space, and it goes into the Arctic, and it goes to the east, and it goes to the west, and it's just this enormous kind of void of... No one lives out there. I mean, take Chernobyl for example, right? A whole city with a nuclear reactor that melted down. That they're like, nah, fuck it, just leave it out there. Don't go out there anymore. All right, we'll stay away. You know, like it sounds like that's pretty vast, like not that uncommon of a space out there.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, there were, uh, yeah, there, there there were a lot of open spaces. You know, and uh, I remember the folded gap was, and I don't exactly know where the folded gap is anymore, sure. to be honest with you. But uh, you
0: were up there at one point. <laughs> but, and, 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 and that
1: was, uh, the, the plan was to funnel the Russians. They had run. The Russians had to fu- funnel through that if there was uh, ever to be a conflict. And that was going to be where uh, the forces in Europe were going to tie up the the Russian tanks and all that kind of so stuff. So interesting. Long, long enough for... Uh, uh, Stateside NATO forces to.
0: Did respond. I send you that video a while ago where it was like special forces, uh, former KBG guy that was talking about the Cold War plan and how all of that was already implemented? We don't need to get into politics or anything like that on the show, but how he was talking about how like their the Russians' plan was already implemented in American psyche and the way our country's evolving. Did I send you that video?
1: You did. It's nuts. I uh, listen. I. I I probably is. I didn't open it yet. Sure. I uh I I got it and I was like, I have to look at that. But unfortunately it went into the queue. Of, oh gotcha. Uh, you
0: yeah, have a million different videos.
1: And listen, and uh, uh and from here in particular, uh there's a there's a lot of interesting people here. One hundred percent, yeah. And like a lot of great ideas. Uh listen, my reading list expands almost on a daily basis. I understand
0: uh, that very well. I mean, my audible and my actual <laughs> right? physical thing where I'm ordering books and ordering and I'm like, I'm never gonna finish this. <laughs>
1: And, and, and podcasting too, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there's, uh, Tim Madsen, uh, if that guy turns me on to one more podcast, uh, <laughs> I actually, actually when he comes to you, he goes, hey, I gotta show you something. I'm like, Oh no, Tim, ah, not sucked one. into something <laughs> right? else.
0: That's awesome. So it sounds like you had a pretty cool medical career or not medical. Um, it wasn't medical career, but army career. It sounded like you really enjoyed it.
1: I did. I liked the army.
0: Very yeah. cool. And then that brought you, I'm assuming after that, as you said, that story, how that evolved and then you came back to this area. Is that what led you into law enforcement?
1: Uh, well, kind of, sort of, you know, okay. um, so I, I, I'll tell you that I was never that guy who always wanted to be a cop. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, probably the furthest thing from my mind was ever being in law enforcement. Really? Uh, yeah. It just wasn't, uh, you know, not the, you know and my, who, who ostensibly would have been my godfather, um, a very good friend of my father's was a detective here in town. I grew okay. up with him and he was a great guy and, I, and a mentor, but, uh, you know, it, 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 I didn't have that spark. Gotcha. Um, what happened was, I was working, I was raising a family. I got a job at Martin Brower, which is right up the road here. Yep. Um,
0: the, but they ship all the uh, McDonald's food yeah, out you know, of there. Like Their tractor trailer trucks are always in the way.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, um, you know, a good paying job, but it you know, wasn't really going to go anywhere with that. Sure. You know? um, and uh, the Enfield Police Department was uh, had an advertisement. My wife actually saw it for, they were hiring, and they ran the ambulance at the time. Okay. I was, uh, looking to enroll in a paramedic program. So I thought, Hey, this, what a great, what a great stepping stone to get into a paramedic program. Sure. Thing, you know, this is uh, June of 88, uh, got hired. Uh, this great guy, uh, chief Herbie Foy, great man, just okay. a, a nice man. Um, you know, did the interview process, sat down with him, uh, we anyway, had the interview, and I had no law enforcement experience, and he knew that. And he said, "Listen, I'm I'm willing to take a chance." And that's what a lot of life is taking chance on, chances on—chances yeah, yeah. on people, right? And I
0: would, I would argue, you've been in the military, you know how to follow structure, you know how to follow direction and order. Like, there's some intertwine, It might not be direct law enforcement, but it's still a similar thing, right? That, At least I, my point of view, would, it looks like it's similar.
1: Absolutely, a paramilitary. So there's a rank structure, and you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe, in the, maybe that's what he. Where he's like,
0: I'll take a risk on you, but I'm pretty sure you're going to do well with this.
1: Uh, maybe that was it. Uh, for whatever reason he did, I'm eternally grateful. Cool. Uh, great guy. He since passed away. He was a great man. Went into the academy in uh, June of 88. Uh, instantly fell in love with it. Cool. Um, graduated first of number one in my class. He um, was kind of off to the races after that. You Very know? cool. Um, it, was, it was, you know, I'm, I'm a real... I'm blessed in a lot of ways, that being one of them, that, that I had the opportunity to, to kind of fall into uh, the woman of my dreams, gave me great kids, great kids now, um, fell into a career that didn't really want and, and, and loved it, just loved awesome. almost every aspect of it.
0: Very cool. And so through your, your time in law enforcement, because you were, you were a career law, law officer where you went from start to retirement, you must have done different things. What was your favorite position that you had throughout the course of that career?
1: Whew. That's tough. Um, that's tough. Cause I was, I was, I, like was for, I did, I was fortunate. I really was, <laughs> uh, you know, I got to, uh, I like. I really liked being a detective. Uh, I worked with statewide narcotics for a while. I really cool. like that. Did uh, you
0: work with Brian? Is that when you started here like 12 years ago? Cause you and Brian came in together and I didn't know if you guys worked together. I knew you were both on the SWAT team together, the regional SWAT team, but were you guys partnered up at that point or no? We,
1: we were. Okay. Um, so, uh, so Callahan, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever met in, really? my, in my life. Yeah, he's he's got like uh, he's got like this old man wisdom. I hope he hears this too because I'm gonna call him <laughs> an old man. Uh, he's just he's he's able to um, dissect really complicated scenarios and lay them out uh, and lay a solution out or several solutions out in uh, simple, understandable, uh, digestible terms. He's About in actionable any
0: actionable ways.
1: Actionable ways, yeah, very good. Um, and he's just a, he knows people. I mean, uh, so, uh, so when he got on, um, shortly after he got on, uh, a couple of years, we ended up in community policing together. Okay. Um, which was just a great job. I love community policing. You so know? what
0: is that? What, what's community, community policing? What is that?
1: Well, so you know what? It, 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 it got the name community policing in the nineties. Okay. Uh, um, and the, the idea was to get cops more embedded with the community. Gotcha. So you could have a relationship with people, Okay, which is what cops used to do, you know? Um, Unfortunately, law enforcement has gotten, and and this is some of it's by need and some of it's by convenience, has got really techno- technolo- technologically heavy. Okay, you know? and that becomes a, a layer of insulation between actually going out and talking and meeting people, you know, and you know, getting a feel for what's going on, you know.
0: I feel like that's true across the board for everything.
1: Ab- absolutely, from
0: meeting a friend to getting a drink to. Actual inter- human interaction has become further and fewer between.
1: Uh, agreed. Un- unfortunately, it's it's almost becoming a lost art. You
0: know yeah, I mean? I mean, just the ability to have a conversation with somebody and not be able to be like, "Well, I'm going to put my phone down because I'm done with that conversation." And, well, no, I'm in front of you now.
1: <laughs> and you isn't it? Uh, and talk about etiquette. Um, uh, the folks who will uh, take a phone call right when you're talking to them. You know? Yeah. And it drives me bananas when people don't go. Excuse me, this is a really important call. I don't mean to be rude. Yeah. That's understandable. But in the middle of a conversation, what about a phone and start having another conversation?
0: And it's nothing big. We're like did, "Did what you just had to say yes, you wanted a piece of pizza later? <laughs> like what the right. fuck's that about? <laughs> exactly, you
1: know? And and uh unfortunately that form of etiquette is, you know, that interpersonal, hey, I have respect for you. Yep. I'm gonna look you in the eye when I talk, uh I'm gonna mean what I say, I'm gonna value what you have to say. Um uh some of that's been lost in you know, in, in technology. Yeah, you
0: know? absolutely. I completely agree. So and um the community policing—it sounds a lot like something that my father-in-law did in Manchester, which was the Pals, which was a police oh. athletic league and pulling like kids into sports programs through the police. It sounded like. so, so something similar to that.
1: So hey, that's uh, Manchester had a, fat, a fantastic Pal program. Sure, um, and and, it's, and certainly Pal could be a component of community policing. Like okay, component of it. So
0: it's just one one outreach idea of like, hey, we want to be embedded with these people, so they're comfortable coming to us, not scared of us
1: right so i'm gonna uh, i will know a police officer in a different vein i'll know he's a uh, he'll be a coach a mentor i'll have somebody that i can i can i put a face to a name if i have a problem i can go talk to him um and the opposite side of that hell happens too right i'll sure. see this kid no, no, no longer is just the trouble but hey i know the kind of situation that kid is in at home so yep. that becomes a buffer from harsh judgments you,
0: Abs, know, like, you see his name come across the radio and being like all right, I know where he lives, I know what his mom and dad are into, or I know if he has a mom or a dad, let's try to talk to him and figure this shit out
1: right hey, I'll be right there let me let me let me talk to him you know uh, that kind of stuff you know? yeah um so we uh so Brian and I work community policing. I learned so much from that guy he had uh he had so many great tricks um, and just tools of the trade uh, and we had fun all the time because awesome. his his philosophy was, uh, law enforcement is the greatest job in the world. It's okay. it's free entertainment, um, and because <laughs> you know some of the stuff. Sure, pe- it is. Pe- people do some goofy shit, to be yep. honest with you, and, and you, got, you
0: get to see the inside of it all—a
1: front-row seat. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, you see some a lot of sad shit too. I'm but, sure you do. You know, um, I'm sure you do. That's part of the job. Um, so fortunately, we uh, we so we started uh, we started working together and we started adventure racing together. Um, uh, we started We started out adventure racing doing these uh these challenges called high tech challenges, okay, which were like four hour um, pretty scripted chorus um, you know a trail run uh, bike ride uh, mountain bike ride, and then okay. uh, some some form of kayaking uh, and then that blossomed from there into we started doing six hour races and then twelve hour races wow. and, we ended up doing 24 hour races together. Wow. 24
0: uh, hour race is yeah. no joke. That's just being outside for 24 hours is not an easy feat, never mind moving and maneuvering. I'm swimming through the woods at the same time.
1: Through the woods, uh, uh, at one point, on the 21 the 24 hours. And I will I have to qualify this that we never won any 24 hour okay. races, but we did finish I mean, them. Where uh,
0: the goal wasn't necessarily winning, more of completion.
1: Right. Uh, so, uh, we did one in New York. We actually did two in New York. Um, uh, at one point, uh, we're doing the briefing beforehand. You had to mark all your uh, you had the wayfinding. You had to mark okay. all your points on a the map. They gave you the coordinates. You had to mark them on the map. And then pick your route, how you are going to get there. Okay. And submit that to a judge. And the judge would look at it to make sure you had the points correct and, and that your route wasn't absolutely unsafe. You we're going to you know? go
0: right up this mountain. <laughs> right. right up we're the gonna. face of this cliff and right <laughs> over. And we're going to cut off two days worth of time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh.
1: And our legs. Uh, um... So we get we get the nod to go uh, uh, start the morning, and um, at, the, at the morning briefing they say, "Hey, listen, uh, try not to be on the Hudson uh, at I think it was after at midnight to two o'clock, sure, you know, because uh, apparently the, the Hudson has a tide, and oh, if, you're, really? if you're on it between twelve whatever the time was, um, it it could be dangerous for Good you. Good luck, you know? right? So uh, we did this. Long, uh, long trek through the woods and a long bike ride. Um, and then we got in the boats, and it was like at the exact minute they said, Don't be there, we're, th- we're there. Uh,
0: the tide starts picking up, and you're like, This is supposed to be a calm river. <laughs> so,
1: so we started at uh, in a uh, like a little cove. Um, we get in the canoes, and there's three of us uh, Brian, uh, me, and a, g- a guy named Serge Lassard, who's just a he's a, a tremendous human being. In fact, you know, uh, Pierre owns the building, yeah,
0: right? Dennis is De- Dennis, Dennis owns it, but it's his brother,
1: right? Uh, Great family, nice people um, and Serge is a, like he's a mountain man he's a little he's a little energizer bunny just you can't stop him
0: honestly, I could say the same thing about Dennis because Dennis is he's in his 70s and he's still like sheet rocking stuff and <laughs> throwing stuff around and I'm like I'm sure he's done well enough over his career where he doesn't need to do any of that anymore, but to the same point of being like, man, you kick some ass, dude like you're a badass old man
1: I don't think they can sit still to be honest
0: with you I wouldn't be surprised. Um,
1: uh, uh, Serge's accomplishments, the whole family. Uh, you know, I was talking. We we went hiking uh, um, in February. We did the Mount Washington trip. Yep. Uh, he was he was like uh, accounting for an average day of what he does. You know, and, and I do this, do this and, this, and I play hockey till two o'clock. And I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> wow. Where do you? When do you sleep? You know, that that kind it's of like, thing.
0: What's sleep? What yeah, what a difference right. does it make? Do, right,
1: and always happy, always uh, you know, always just a great guy. So anyway, so. They gave us these chem lights. You had to have chem lights on. Uh, like uh, red was the front of your vest, green was the back of your vest, or something okay. like that. Um, at this point, we're I think 18 hours, 16 hours into the race, so we're a little, we're a little, we got the kind of in that goofy head.
0: Yeah, and you've been there. A lo- that's a long time. You're on your feet for 16 to 18 hours.
1: We couldn't wait to get in this stupid canoe because our, our thought process was, my legs are so Let tired. Me sit down. Right. i just gonna be able to sit down. And when the cold water hit the hot legs, instant, instant crapping. It was Oof. horrible, right? So, we start paddling, and Serge is a very accomplished kayaker. Okay. Uh, so, he's kind of calling the pace, and he's bailing the boat, and we see a boat that's right ahead of us, and it goes from, like, dead calm to looking like it was uh, popcorn in a popcorn, <laughs>
0: right? You're like, oh, no.
1: It's Yeah. Uh, so, Brian and I are like, Brian and I, we don't know any better. Sure. Like, uh, ignorance. And
0: you're not accomplished kayakers <laughs> or <laughs>
1: canoeers. Ignorance is bliss, right? Um we see that, we're like, hey, cool, high five, right? Serge, Serge starts, you his French, you know French, yep. Canadian, right? Yeah, He goes, start paddling, stupid, start paddling. <laughs> and we're like, all right. We get into this, it's like a roller coaster. We're, oh, like, we're like bouncing up and down, just like getting tossed about, uh... We, uh, we get on the other side of it. Uh, we're high-fiving. That was fucking great. Uh-huh. And Serge looks back and goes, you were stupid. We almost died. <laughs> I think that was Russian, not French-Canadian. but uh, yeah, whatever, get, man,
0: get man, right I get the here. point. Absolutely. You guys have no idea what we just made it through.
1: Uh, that's exactly oh, what it was. Oh, man. Uh, so at the, at the end of our uh, adventure racing career, you know, October was usually the end of the season. Sure. Um, so we were uh, doing cop work, community policing, so a lot of bike riding, a lot of walking. We were grappling with a guy named Walt Isaac out of uh, Ludlow, who was the, by far the best martial artist I've ever met right. in my is life. Is
0: that the origins, the team link, or is that not even
1: connected? No, it's uh, not even connected. Okay. Um, uh, Walt was just an amazing, not to blow smoke here, but you, yeah. actually, you actually remind me of Walt. Uh, oh, cool. The, the, world, the work, I think, is the same. Uh, you know, Walt is was a tremendously humble guy, and he was dedicated to his craft. He cool. was always like you, going. he was always going somewhere to learn something else. Try to figure it out. Right, what's, you know, uh, just an amazing guy, uh, just an amazing guy, and thank God he was religious, because uh, I mean, I, I, he hit me a couple times so hard, casually, <laughs> um, you know, like, like I saw another universe. You right, know,
0: where you're uh, like, if you actually used this martial art that you have, you'd be killing people.
1: I, I, really, uh, him and his brother, Charlie, true story. Um, you, you could graduate at the time. You graduated into the downstairs. Okay. Like if, you got, if you got good enough, you got invited to come downstairs gotcha. and train even harder, which was unimaginable. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> You're you like, trained. what are you going to do to me down there? <laughs> Just, it was gritty, hard training, you know. Um, so the first time I got, to, I got to lock up with Charlie, who's a big guy, but you wouldn't look at him much like yourself, or, or, sure. Le- or Leighton for that example. Yeah. You wouldn't look at him and go, genetic freak strength, sure. right? Charlie yep. was the same way. A nice guy. Uh, but I locked up. We got on a, a grappling hold uh, where I've got the back of his neck. He's got the back of my neck, and he grabs my tricep. And he had such tremendous grip strength. He was a uh, uh, what the iron. Remember the iron. Oh
0: yeah, uh, where you close the grippers yeah, or whatever. Uh, and you work up like there's like levels to like the grip, the the grip closers. Were people that so. Fred and I are pretending to close our hands, (laughs) but what we're talking about are, like, those spring grippy things that have, like, the clamps that you work on your grip strength for. A long time ago, grip training was actually a thing, and they had levels to grip training, and you would progress your way up, and not very many people could ever close, like, the top one or even budge the top one, never mind close it all the way.
1: Uh, uh, Captains of Crush, I think. Yes, that was it. Yep. So, uh... Charlie was able to close a number four, wow. and he was, uh, at, at the time, he was one of four or five people in the world who could actually do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable, because you look at, like, what that is, like, pressure per square inch or something, if someone's out there looking looking this up, it's going to be astronomical.
1: Unbelievable. Um, so, I locked up with Charlie, uh, and I think just for fun, he, he squeezed my squoze. what is, the, what is yeah, that? Yeah, just what like, I,
0: squeeze your triceps super hard.
1: Uh, Buckled my knees. I, I think I started to cry a little bit because uh, I, 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 huh? I could. I could feel like the tendons were right. coming you're, off you're like, I was like, my arm oh. and f So this guy tapped Holy me. Shit. He made me tap by squeezing my arm. Right? <laughs> and he's uh,
0: "You're not ready for this level yet." You're, I guess right. I'm not. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh,
1: great, great guys, but between that, the, the community policing and the adventure racing, we were pretty beat up come yeah. October. You know, we were uh, we were looking for a way to uh, a way to. Like rehab. Gotcha. You know? And uh, we found onthemat.com. Okay. Uh, and I don't know whether on the mat was a link to CrossFit or sure. whether it morphed into CrossFit. I don't know where, I don't know the genesis. Yeah, of the
0: how, it, wherever it went to.
1: But that's how we, so we found CrossFit and like dumb us, we were like, hey, this would be a great way to rehab. We can augment our training. You know, this will be, this will be our winter training. Yeah. cycle.
0: And it, it could have been if protect, per uh, you were doing it well. Right? We, if you knew what you were doing and how to arrange <laughs> it and the structure to everything, absolutely. But knowing from what you're talking about of the martial arts and the go-hardness at the adventure racing, I'm assuming that you just went hard at it.
1: That's all we did. <laughs> we had no idea. Which uh, is the same
0: thing I did when I got in the cross. And I was like, fuck it. Let's go burn it down every day.
1: Right. And, hey, we knew nothing about Olympic lifting. The, uh, the, the closest thing we came to any instruction was uh, the tutorial videos, yep. you know. Which had some value, but yeah. were of kind of limited use, to be quite honest. And with
0: you. you, so what? What year are you talking about here? Oh,
1: it's just two thousand five, two thousand six.
0: Sure. So right around then is if people to put in reference for what CrossFit looked like, it was a website. There might have been one to two affiliates worldwide, um, and the website was this blue website that had maybe a picture on it, maybe not because um, technology at that point took a long time to get pictures uploaded to websites, so not a lot of people had pictures on their websites. And it was just a workout that went up every day that Greg Glassman put up, and it was what they were doing in their gym, and people just followed in along the world. There was no such thing as the CrossFit Games. There was no affiliates. There's no affiliate journal that had a YouTube channel with some of the best weightlifting coaches in the world breaking down technique. It was pretty much like, here's a clean... You go figure it out, right? That's exactly, exactly
1: what it was. Uh, I, I remember, it's funny you should say that. Remember that website? And I remember in the right-hand margin were the affiliates. Yes. Um, and uh, I remember there being less than a page. Uh, so uh So half a dozen. Yep. You know? Um And just, just kept waiting and waiting. And, and it, 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 it exploded.
0: It did. You know? It did. Uh, um, so it exploded right around like oh eight oh nine. It was like the first real big push and that's when i hopped in um but if you talk if you guys go back to last season on the podcast i interviewed rob wolf rob was the first ever affiliate no kidding yep, so he was the first guy to ever open an affiliate gym up in seattle i want to believe um don't hold me to that go listen to the episode um but to your point it was the same type of thing he called greg glassman up on the phone and was like hey i want to open an affiliate how does that work and he was like i don't know man just do it open a gym and put crossfit on didn't charge him anything and then he was like shouldn't i pay you something he's like pay me 300 bucks all right here's 300 bucks great use my name like crazy time so the difference between the time frame fred's talking about 0506 to 2021 is massive differences but so cool sorry to interrupt your story so at that point you hop into crossfit and you start getting it we
1: we started we start trying to get it oh. uh um so we would do we would actually sponsor workouts at the P D, you okay. know? Uh and um there was a, a fair amount of buy in Sure. Uh, uh, at the time, Aznuntuk Community College had a track. Uh, it was a gravel track. It was a track. I
0: remember. I, uh, I did some sprints on that at one point, and I was like,
1: how do they even call this a track? <laughs> right, it was all right. Like, you'd have to worry about turning an ankle. So yeah, it, right? it's
0: just funny because everybody that thinks of track now, they think of the perfectly manicured track at Fermi or Enfield High, where it's like the red rubbery, like perfect, whereas the track over at Aznuntuk was literally like a walking path.
1: That's the that's, uh, that's like best description of it. And you know what? Um, so I ran track in uh, my junior year of high school. I did, okay. did the pole vault. Wow. The, the tra- oh, I wasn't. I, wasn't.
0: <laughs> did I always say pole vaulters are the best athletes in the world. You're able to run full speed with a giant stick, stick it into a teeny hole, and then leverage yourself over this thing in the air, like, how the fuck do they do that? Like, that's some serious athleticism, so good on you, Fred, because that's badass.
1: You, well, hey, listen, uh, so I, that sounds great, and uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say that to everybody from now on, uh, uh it wasn't that great. It
0: was uh, not what I'm, what I'm making it uh, no. up to be. <laughs> I, th-
1: I think we made it up to, like, eight or nine feet, which right. is Do we
0: need the stick to jump over this, or should we just jump? <laughs> right. Like, how does this go? they <laughs> are broad
1: jumpers doing it, yeah. Um, and listen, even back then, so we're talking 78, 79, something like that, uh, the 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 kids who were in line to get scholarships for track would show up at the track at Enfield High, and and the coaches would say, "You're not running this, you know, because really? you got to risk it. you know, they were it was grooved and pitted, so yep. you know some of these kids are, you know, they,
0: you got you have a full ride somewhere, right?
1: Unless you sprain your ankle, twist your knee, something yeah. like that. You, know,
0: you don't so. need to go step in a, a hole in the side of a track because a dog went out to the bathroom before you got out there and dug a little hole or whatever. Like, stay off of that,
1: right? Um, so that, that was the, the very similar track as not well, we didn't care. We, we certainly weren't. Yeah, dealing. absolutely. Habits,
0: right? it, it, to, to your point, I worked out there myself, like knowing what it was. I was like, ah, fuck it. Let's go.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Um, so we would drag out a bunch of Olympic weights. Um, I, I still, to this day, I remember we were doing, uh, um, split jerks. Okay. Uh, and, uh, we're on the side of the track and we're trying to figure out what split jerks are. Um, and some, uh, some old guy walks up, uh, don't know him, wouldn't know him if I ran into him today. Uh, he was like, hey, you guys mind if I give you a... It, it turns out he was a, a former powerlifter. Really? Yeah, he's his, his name, Neil? I, Rome, I couldn't tell you if I... Yeah, I
0: would say, because Neil Mulligan's from uh, Enfield, and he was a big wa- Olympic weightlifter, and Neil is always known for going up to people and telling them how to do it. Like, even at weightlifting meets, where you're like... Bro, we all Olympic lift too. And he's <laughs> like, "Well, let me tell you how to do it better." I'm like, "All right, talk to me, Neil."
1: <laughs> so it, maybe it was Neil. It could have been I, uh, Neil. Who knows? Either way. <laughs> uh, we were. I guess uh, my my account of it is that we were just so bad at what we were doing. He had sympathy on us. He came over and said, "Hey, listen," he gave us kind of this this ad hoc lesson sure. on on how to do uh, a split jerk, and uh, we were like, "Hey, thanks a lot." And that was kind of the seed that we got to find somebody that that knows how to do this because. Sure. Listen, every time, every time we did front squats before coming in here, uh, my back was blown up for days, if not weeks afterwards.
0: Yeah, you know? you're probably coming in and over <laughs> and just being like, wow, I stood up. It's great. Right? Perfect, right?
1: That, and, uh, it put more weight on it. If yep. you did one, you could do three, right?
0: And, like, the time frame, that, like, it's, it's really hard to comprehend because access to this information right now was so, so easy to find. Hey, front squat YouTube, I got 10,000 videos. Right. Let me find one. That didn't exist. Like, that no. was, if you wanted to learn how to front squat, well, find it in a magazine or find a weightlifting coach, and they'll instruct you how. But there's not a glossary on the internet like there is now.
1: Right, that you can pull up on your phone.
0: Yeah, you know? and be like, even like, on our training app, I provide videos now for every lift. Oh, front squats. Click. Oh, there's a training video of how to do a front squat on my app. That's amazing.
1: Right. It, right. Yeah. Uh, so the information available now is just unbelievable. So really? maybe, maybe, a, maybe overload. Maybe,
0: yeah. Maybe for a, a lot of people, it is 100%. And then it, it gets diluted and a lot of snake oil is sold to people because information is so readily available, and you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. But um, I keep interrupting your story. So you guys, you guys, sounds like the police. You guys, a good following, and you guys were going over to the, for, uh, the uh, Nuntuck track and actually like getting it.
1: We, we did. Uh, it's awesome. You know, um, it's funny because I, I, I saved those on my, uh, I saved into a file, and every now and again I go pull up an old one and go, "Hey, 2007." You know, we um, nuts, and then. Checking that affiliate page, uh, boom, uh, uh, Crossword Revelation popped up.
0: Enfield, Connecticut, yeah. I'm sure it popped up. Yeah, so, that's crazy. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh And uh, it was off to the races after that.
0: So for everybody listening, Fred was the first person to ever send me an email to join the gym. You weren't the first member, but you were the first person. And I believe the reason that Fred wasn't the first member was because I was operating the gym illegally out of a (laughs) one-car garage at my house. That was not zoned for commercial use whatsoever. So I had people... And so if you guys are familiar with my first home, you could drive by it anytime you want. It was 3 Martin Terrace in Enfields, Connecticut. It has a one-car driveway. So when I say one-car driveway, my current pickup truck would occupy that entire driveway. So it's not like there's a lot of room there. So I had people parking on the street. They would come into a one-car garage. And this one-car garage probably would fit maybe like a Mazda Miata in it. Like it was teeny. And I'll put up some pictures with this so you guys can see what that looked like. And I would have people running down the road, flipping tires down the road, carrying sandbags around. And I was very, very fortunate that the Enfield police and everybody just left me alone. No one said a word. They just let me do my thing. And then as soon as I moved into Seven Moody Road, so I moved into one of these bays. It's actually not one of the three bays that we currently occupy. It's one more down that we occupied. It was like a half back to it and some offices in the front. Fred was one of the first people that ever came into the gym. So it's about 12 years ago now. I think you came in... No, you came in before Debbie came in because Debbie's story, she came in, and we had the whole SWAT team in here doing the Fight Gone Bad that time where you guys were doing the regional SWAT training. Right, right. So Fred was one of the first members you came in. You and Brian came in together because I got pictures of – A long time ago, guys, this sounds weird, we were doing box jumps, and I didn't have enough money to get rubber flooring for the whole gym. So we had a cement floor, but the problem is with a wooden box and a cement floor, when you jump on it, the box moves. So your box starts, like, sliding away from you as you jump. So when we do box jumps, we would partner up and be like, all right, Fred, you hold this side of the box while Brian jumps, and he'll hold it while you jump, and then you don't have to worry about missing the box, and we're good. So I still got some pictures from back in the day that I'll put those up of literally, like, someone's foot on the box while the partner's jumping and then be like, all right, you hold it. All right. It's my turn. And then you go from there. Um, and they're all homemade boxes because I, at that time I couldn't afford to buy boxes. So I would go to home Depot when plywood wasn't an investment, when plywood was like $10 a sheet and I would cut up and make my own plyo boxes and we would go from there. But yeah, I mean, you've been involved with the gym since late 2009. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, it listed for, uh, It's again, I don't overuse the word blessing, but it's been a blessing, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it eliminated the excuse. So, you know, you were on my way home. Perfect. um, Perfect. Every day. Uh, So time and space wasn't wasn't a problem. Um, I love the people here. The workouts are phenomenal. Uh, It's it's just austere enough. You know, I, I like I like. There's no air conditioning. Yep. I like. There's no carpeting.
0: We I, keep it gritty enough where it's just it's just nice enough to bring people in, but also at the same time we don't lose where we came from. You came here to do work. You didn't come here to have a bougie experience and go sit in the spa.
1: Right. Yeah. E- exactly. Uh, I uh, I was uh, closing up last night, and um, on one of the corners, a little a little kid did a drawing. You know, <laughs> I love that too. To be honest <laughs> with you, I mean that's it, it's it's. It's a family. It's a wholesome family environment. It's where you come here for an hour to get tough. You yep. know, you get. You know, it's it's uh, it's an experience. Um, I just love it love Good. everything about it. Uh, it helped. It's helped obviously, obviously, it's helped you me physically, mentally. It, it was a way to burn off some of the crap that happens during, uh, during a tour of law enforcement.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the last, how long were you in law enforcement? Twenty years? Thirty-two. Thirty-two, 32 years? years. Holy yeah. shit, Fred! Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. So for the last twelve or thirty-two, we were able to help you out through that. So for you did twenty without us and then twelve with us. <laughs> um, but it sounds like those later twelve years, you also had a lot more responsibility on your shoulders over the police department as well. So I'm sure the added stresses to that hopefully we helped combat some of
1: that for you as well 100 percent, 100 percent. you guys will you guys will never know uh there i, I felt bad sometimes because there were, this isn't the type of gym where, where folks normally wear headphones yep um and I, and I appreciated that. I, there were times where I'd come in and wear my headphones, and you would let me do it. Hey, Maybe would go know? rock out. Because there, there, there were times I just needed to be alone, and I needed to sweat, and I needed to burn off, uh, you know, burn off the, the residue from the
0: day. Yeah, whatever you had going on. The, uh, I remember always busting your balls, because I'd be like, what are you listening to in there? And you're always like, it's gangster rap. <laughs> I love gangster rap. <laughs> I had, no, I thought, I thought first you would have been like, AC, DC, Guns and Roses. You're like, no, nah, man, it's fucking gangster rap.
1: <laughs> so I, hey, was, uh, I'd like to tell you that was on purpose. That I had a bunch of gangster rap on purpose, <laughs> but you remember those little iPods? They were, you know, they uh, uh, they were the, t- the the long yeah, like
0: ones. the stick ones that like you could lay like a clip and put it on your shirt or whatever. <laughs> so
1: uh, my oldest son took it for a little while, and he was all into gangster rap. Um, so I had a bunch of gangster rap on it. I loaded a bunch of metal on it because okay. I like lifting the metal. And uh, my uh, my youngest son took it for a little while, so and he had, like, Viking death metal on it. So <laughs> it was great because I'd, I'd, I'd hit scramble, and you never knew what you were going to okay, get. Here one, we go. It could be the Carpenters. It could be Biggie. That's uh, it, awesome. it could be Metallica. You never knew. You know?
0: Oh, yeah. I just remember that. I thought that was very funny, uh, uh, like, always asking being like, Fab, what you got on? You're like, well, yeah, know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So... Um, since you've retired, Fred, you came on staff here, which is awesome. So now you kind of get to return the return that opportunity to people coming in the gym. And now you get to be their coach and lead them through everything you've learned. Because, dude, I mean, you've been physically active your whole life. But from that past story, it sounds like you started pursuing exercise technique and how to perform that from 05, 04, which is almost 20 years ago at this point. Right,
1: let's get right? on there. 04,
0: yeah, that's, yeah, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome man hey
1: listen I uh again it was it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to come here and give back if you will yeah. you know what I mean um it's fun like uh Jeff there's there's a new fellow Jeff who's been bitten by the bug by the way Good. He, uh he um today he came in today and he was uh he was doing split uh split jerking and we talked we coached up a little bit before class um, and he was a little trepidatious, you sure. know. Um, like, Why do you know,
0: I need to take this barbell and throw it over my head and move my feet in a weird direction? What the hell is this about?
1: Right, exactly, you know. Uh and we so we tuned up for him a little bit. Um you know, it's that that kind of uh like, hey listen, uh uh watch one do one, teach one kind yep. of mentality. Um so watched watched watch them do it, him how to do it, uh, had him do one and then had him coach me up while I was doing it. Like, hey, look what does this look like? Uh, and at the end of the workout, he came up and said, you know, that was great. I feel I, I, very edifying. You know That's what awesome I mean? He, I feel great. I can do more weight next time. You know, I just have to work on my form. Yep. Uh, you know, and he came in. Uh, he came in. He was struggling to uh, to do some stuff. And, and now he's, he's, he's grabbing it by the horns, man. He's, uh, you can tell. He's, he's got the look in his eye. Uh, he's got the Tim Madsen look. Because Tim, Tim's been bitten by the bug, too. That's all I, mean, I love
0: hearing it. I love hearing when people fully commit to something that can really impact and change our lives for the better. Uh, I can't tell you guys how many people have come in in here and met lifelong friends, met their future spouse, met met a future employer that opened a door and changed their careers and changed their lives. So many lives have been positively affected, never mind just physical weight loss habits, but exterior stuff like that, where they committed to something and they met friends, they met whatever – and it just grew from there. And it, it's—I it, always love hearing when people are like in it and like they're, they're they're committed to it. And they're like, "I love it. Let's keep going." It's always great to hear.
1: Well, listen—not again, not to blow smoke here—but you have to take some—you have some culpability in that because you've created an environment here that is family friendly, people friendly. Look at the look at the people you attract here. Look look at the people who uh, who spend spend a lot of time here. Um, you know, just to name a, name a few, Upper Body Tim. Yeah, Tim's know. been
0: around for forever, yeah.
1: too. And look at that guy. Uh, yeah. You know, he's humble. He's uh, physically talented. He's intellectually talented. He's, he's just a great person. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Joey, Joey, all the body part guys, right? Yeah. Jo- Joey Joey Abs, right? Uh, who, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, uh, I absolutely hate it every time he takes his shirt off. because I think
0: of, like, most guys do, Joe. Guys <laughs> I know you're listening to this.
1: Uh, and he's a real humble guy. I mean, he's he's just a, he's a, he's a nice human being. Um, you know, there's just there's just so many interesting people here with great backstories. Uh, having an ego walking in here is a mistake. One hundred percent. And um,
0: most people that do walk in with an ego, unfortunately, walk out pretty quickly unless they can change that ego because. I can't tell you how many cops that I've had come in where all of a sudden they think they're a big badass and a girl's lifting more weights or running faster than them, and then they never come back again because they're like, "Well, fuck this place."
1: Well, humbling, <laughs> humbling, right? Like, yeah.
0: like, well, gotta go. Like, oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what this place is. Hey, listen. Uh, Yosh, you know, Yosh doesn't look like a powerful specimen of a human sure. being, right? And Sorry, like, Yosh. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but let's be honest, right? I yeah. mean, he looks like a normal dude. Yeah. Uh, and and what was he back squatting five hundred pounds? Yeah, he's day. a
0: very strong dude. He's a very strong guy and very technical lifter, um, which is which is always great. To your point of never underestimate people because um, you're gonna be humbled when you walk in a door like this.
1: Right. Right. And you know he'll. Uh, like, remember Lauren Smash. I yep. used to hate it when she was in the gym. Yeah. Guy, she's she would, super I'll, strong, I'll, I'll, I'll lift. I'd be like, go on the other side of the gym. I'll go on the other side of the gym. Stay, <laughs> stay away from me. I'm tired of being, being bested by you. Uh, um, I love it. Yeah. Just, just, you know, great people, humble. and They always uh, genuinely come over and, hey, can I tell you this? We Can okay. I make this suggestion? Can I do this for you? You know, uh, and that would develop into other conversations. Um, you know, just because they're who they are and they have interesting lives, and I would blossom into a conversation that, you know, would spin off into another direction and kind of, you know, lead you down a road that you wouldn't, weren't normally going to go down.
0: 100%, man. And I love the fact that coming into the gym, it doesn't matter what you do for work. So it doesn't matter if you are a high-ranking police officer or if you are a CEO or if you just graduated college and you haven't figured out what you're going to do for work yet or you, you are whatever. When you walk in the gym, all of that melts away. And now you're just a person trying to learn from a coach how to do some physical activity. And it doesn't matter what you own or what, where you live or what you do. You just got to learn and be in the now and be present and act with um, a certain sense of, uh, what am I trying to find? I'm trying to, like you, need to, you just need to be in the now. You need, you need to be present in what you're doing. Um, and if you're not, you're going to get hurt. So it really forces you to be aware of your surroundings.
1: So, uh, agreed. A question for you, right? So, I think a lot of folks are intimidated by the the CrossFit modality. Sure. Uh, some of which you still incorporate yep. uh, here. Um, not understanding, I think that when you come in here, it's almost a family environment, um, and that when you start a workout, you're in your own brand of misery. Nobody else is watching you, uh, and if anybody does finish for you, if somebody does finish before you, uh, they come back and cheer you on. Yep. You know. So, how, how do you? How do you? Send that message. How do you? How do you get that out uh, to people? It's got to be. It's got to be a challenge.
0: It's tough, and it, it's somewhat of people have to somewhat see it to believe it. And we try to translate that. So a lot of the content that we're producing lately of me writing blogs, and some of these blogs are why did I start the gym, our motto and method behind what we do of trying to break down that intimidation barrier because right. as you're saying that's a big issue that we have of signing people up is where people are like, even the name that I picked, Romeo Athletics, they're like, well, I'm not an athlete, why would I go there. Ah, like that's not what I was designing like our name for I just liked how it sounded Um, but to your point it's just that slow communication of when people come in our door and they have that initial conversation we really break down it's much different than when you started Fred because when you started I was 24 years old I was go hard and I was like get buck up man cuz i'm going to kick your ass. Let's let i hope you want to bleed today. Um, where it's much much different now. Um, where now you come in and we have a conversation. What are you looking to do? What what experience are you looking to have here? What are your goals? Um, what's worked well for you in the past? What hasn't worked well for you? Do you work well in a group? Do you work well in one-on-one? And we really cater to that experience to optimize your experience and make sure that you're going to get those long-term goals and that return. Because um, the method that I used, the CrossFit of 0- 08, 09 is much, much different than what you see today. And that sure. that was CrossFit was mainly used by special forces or military or go-hard people that were trying to get after it, where we've changed that mold and made it more of, we're looking for longevity here. Um, None of us are going to be professional athletes. Nothing like that is happening. So let's make sure we're lining you up for your best chance of success and also what you want to do in life. You want to go do mountaineering? Awesome, man. Let's make sure your knees don't hurt from the gym. So when you go to mountaineering, you're not like, man, my knees are killing me. Let's make sure your knees feel great. Right. So when you go out there, you can hike all day and be ready to rock. But awesome, Fred. Um, anything that we missed?
1: No, I thought I could think of.
0: Oh, man. Well, if, guys, if you're listening and you want to talk to Fred more, he's coaching our classes. You can always come in, have a conversation with Fred. I know you're on Facebook. Are you on Instagram? No, I don't have. No, Instagram. he's not on Instagram. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm open. Awesome. But if you want to find Fred, come into the gym, have a conversation with him. I'm going to throw up some pictures with this of uh, back in the day, the 2009-2010 era gym. And Maybe we'll find some more recent ones of Fred as well, and um, you guys can see what it was all about. Awesome. Well, Fred, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank, thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Awesome, guys. Ha- thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And that concludes another episode of Finding Your Strength Radio. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I had a great conversation. I hope you really enjoyed it as well. If you're interested in getting in the gym and training with Fred, you can find us at romeoathletics.fitness. If you want to come in and talk about your goals, talk about what you want to accomplish, what's worked well for you, what hasn't worked well for you, and how we can best serve you, come in, schedule an intro session. You can find
1: it right on our website, and we'll help you change your life. I hope to see you in the gym soon.